0: Millennials are achieving freedom with new definitions of success. Our careers, relationships, education, family, even our politics look nothing like our parents. We're adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there.
1: We Should Be Sleeping explores the things worth losing sleep over. Each week, we discuss the news and topics that keep us awake. Then, our guests share the intentional ways they've done it differently. To achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation.
0: Not ready for bed? Neither are we.
1: I'm Douglas Bonaparte.
0: I'm Heather Bonaparte.
1: Welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. Thank you for bearing with us while we took just one week off because there seemed to be a lot going on. How you doing, Hev?
0: I'm emotionally exhausted. I think my brain exploded on inauguration day and I'm still picking up the pieces off the floor.
1: Heather's not having it, ladies and gentlemen.
0: No, it's not that I'm not having it. I just- No, you you look like you're not having it. I'm so like, just relieved. It's like I'm a, I've got Stockholm syndrome. I don't know how to accept like a moment of peace and calm and unity in my own mind.
1: That's hard to do right now.
0: While we would normally put out an episode on Wednesday, it just seemed like the attention was elsewhere last Wednesday, and rightfully so. I mean including ours.
1: Not only wasn't there on Wednesday, it like hung over in the third we could have done third. We just
0: I had like an inauguration hangover all week, all week basically, into the weekend.
1: It's grueling. It's tough.
0: And into this week and into tomorrow and maybe the next day. <laughs> so talk to me in like April basically.
1: All right. Good vibes. For sure. What are we talking about this week? You've been hounding me. And guys, just so you all know, Heather. Is much better at coming up with the topics in the beginning here. And I usually go along with it. Like, that's great. Let's talk it up. She reads more news, more things that are not finance. And finally, she was like,
0: Well, also, like, usually we have a lot going on, but it seems like since the temp has dropped lower and lower, there's been less going on. Or maybe my brain has just been functioning less and less.
1: Yes, it's the brain function.
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> so cold. Guys, I'm so cold
1: get off instagram and stop looking at all of your friends down in warm climates.
0: No, fuck them, honestly. Oh. All right. Anyway. All right,
1: seriously. <laughs> all right, you're a little salty. I get it. But what we're going to talk about this week because I've been tasked with coming up with it and still did a pretty bad job at it is Elena of Avalor on Disney Plus. All right, it's not just about Elena of Avalor on Disney Plus.
0: It's a children's show in case you didn't know.
1: Yeah, it's a Disney princess show. It's 3 seasons. The 3rd season Just came out, like, I guess a week ago or so. I've been waiting for this because... Forget
0: about the next season of Succession, folks. Elena of Avalor, season three, just came out. And Douglas is beside himself.
1: Elated that this came out because, look, our daughter, our older daughter got into this show. She met Elena of Avalor when we went to Disney last. The Elena? The Elena. I didn't know who this princess was. She had no idea. She knew. This was
0: before masks, guys. She met Elena of Avalor and got to give her a hug. There may have even been a kiss. She
1: she kind of looked at me like, who's this one?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And we're
1: like, oh, that's Elena. No idea. Anyways, after that, we went back. We started watching it. She got hooked on it. And here's the thing. I watch everything. Everything Hazel watches. He does. Most parents will tune out whatever garbage their child is consuming. I do. You do. But I'm like, all right, let's check this out. Because I love cartoons. I always have. I always will. So I kind of just want to see what this is about. You
0: have been watching cartoons as long as I've known you.
1: Right. I'm a huge fan. And look, arguably, there's a lot of them out there, which are, there's a million other things I'd rather do than watch that trash. I won't name them. But every now and then, especially with Disney, because Disney's magical, we'll come across something that is great. Like, the writing's there. The creativity's there. I can get into it when I mix my love for cartoons with something pretty decent.
0: Well, so that's like really nice when you think about it, that, I mean, I can make fun of you all I want. And look, I have zero interest. When my child goes in on like a massive TV bender, that to me is an opportunity to go be productive and do something else or maybe work or relax or write or something. But Douglas, he really enjoys it. That's kind of like something that he does with Hazel and with our kids. It got me thinking about this idea like, when our kids get older, which Hazel's now five, and so she's getting older. She's she's, older. A, she's a person now. And it got me thinking about things that we do with our children together. Things we really do with them, not just do for them. When they're very small, you're doing things for them. You're setting up finger paint, and you're overseeing. You're hovering. Yeah. You're taking them to some silly like you're directing the activity sporting class on Saturday multi-sport class and you're watching your two-year-old run around and you're just standing there like you're standing there with another mom being like isn't this so funny they're running and (laughs) and like but there comes to be an age where you're like oh wait this is something that I enjoy and my child enjoys and we're doing it together and so for me that's baking with Hazel and we really do bake together. Is actually she doing something. She, she gives suggestions. She is involved.
1: She has input on and, what she wants and, in and, the and good. And with
0: Doug, that's watching cartoons. And so we've started thinking about how special that really is when you get to start doing things with your kids. And I guess then the flip side of that is like when your kids start showing an interest and you want to really like lean into that and support that. Like, what came first? The chicken or the egg? Like, did she get that interest because I pushed it upon her?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because you wanted to bake something, therefore you like- Right, she watched Elena
0: because you turned on Elena for her and you said, you need to try this. This is the one we met in Disney.
1: I guess. I don't know- If it was me putting it on and I was sick of whatever else she was watching before that and she tried something new, I feel like that's possibly right. But the bigger point you're getting at is, are we pushing kids or our kids into something that we like or are they organically finding out something that they like and we're joining it?
0: I think this is the first time as parents that we've ever really gotten to that point with a child. And it's just very interesting and just something to always be cognizant of and be aware of. I mean, look, Doug plays tennis. He loves it. And we got Hazel into a tennis class last fall. And without trying to push upon her how wonderful it is if she would play tennis like daddy, we're trying to really see, like, well, do you like tennis? Do you want to do tennis again?
1: She says she does. She
0: says she does. But it's one of those things that makes you question. Like, I love musicals. I love shows and music and Hazel loves musicals because I've had her listen to multiple musicals but like if I didn't put them on for her would she really have an interest? It's just one of those things that it's like how much do we influence the interests of our child and not even to say that that's a bad thing. I think it's just always something to be aware of like can we present them with something they may not have known to have an interest in before and then how far do we push that or Do they just take it and run with it? I mean, it's just, it's something we've been exploring within the confines of our like home and our immediate streets since we don't do anything. But
1: (laughs) it's our, also it's our first rodeo here. Yeah, clearly. But I'll say this, it's also depending on what it is, like sports, I had no expectation that she would pick up a tennis racket and be good at it. I'm like, okay, it's going to be a long, long time before there's any kind of game actually being played here whether it was with another kid or myself.
0: Yeah, but how excited were you the first time she made contact with a ball? You were so excited.
1: Over the moon. I'm not going to doubt her athletic prowess. I mean, I am. She's. I thought maybe, you know, I'm being critical, but maybe not the most athletic kid that I've seen. So to hold that racket and hit that ball over the net, I was like, oh my God, there's a chance. <laughs> and, I, and I left it, and, and I know, but I left it there. And I think that's a good example of, Leaving it
0: open-ended.
1: Well, hold on. I think that some folks would, the feeling I felt you inside me. mean you're not me, trying
0: to be Tiger Woods' dad? We just watched that documentary, yeah. by the way. I mean, that's
1: a good point. But I guess you could have gone as a parent, like really pounced on that and went like all in crazy, overbearing parent. Let's make this dream happen to let's see where this goes. It was really cool to wrestle with those feelings. And the last point I wanted to make is like through the conduit, of like a television show, which is like kind of a layup to get into. You sit on a couch, you watch it. There's a big difference between that and what you've been doing, like whether it be baking or taking her to the tennis court and stuff like that. So I don't know, that maybe wraps up my thoughts on.
0: So how was Elena of Avalor season three?
1: I'm so glad you asked. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I got to go back. I'm sure we're going to watch it again.
0: Please don't bore our listeners with a full recap of, of the show. She's
1: now queen. She's Look, I crowned. Love,
0: I love Disney. Like, don't get me wrong. She's, I'm just like, listen. Cartoons are like mommy time. Like, it, you do you, kid. Ended, I'm going to do me.
1: Okay. It ended. She's now crowned queen of Avalor. Sophia showed up at Praise the end. Be. Unbelievable. Pre- great, great Joe, show. Joe
0: Biden is president. Elena is queen. All is right in the world this week.
1: I was a little disappointed they didn't do a Joe Biden, Elena crossover episode. (laughs) Look, look,
0: what can you do? You know what?
1: All All right. All right. Anyways, awesome guest for you. I want to welcome to the show Oz Perlman. Oz Perlman is an Emmy award-winning mentalist, speaker, magician who won third place on America's Got Talent in 2015. I had the pleasure of meeting Oz a few years before his appearance on AGT, and I remember watching some old YouTube videos of him and being absolutely floored. Now, fast forward a number of years, and Oz is everywhere. What's so incredible about Oz, other than him being a literal showstopper, is how he honed his skills of mental fortitude and converted them to becoming a world-class entertainer and runner. Oz is a shining example of how millennials are doing things different to achieve their own version of success, which is why we're so excited to have Oz join us on the show. Oz, welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So, so excited to have you here. It's been a little while since we've had a chance to catch up, but I'm just going to dive right into this. So obviously, everyone knows what a magician is, but for our listeners, what's a mentalist?
2: Mentalist is kind of like a magician because everybody thinks card tricks, fast hands, fast hands, sleight of hands. I can do something in a way where you can't see what I did. You know, there's a trick but you say, I just didn't see how you did it. You were too fast. I don't do any of that. I do magic of the mind. So kind of the way you would describe it is I know how people behave. I know how people think. I know how to persuade and influence in certain ways. And what my show appears to be is that of somebody who can either read your minds or implant thoughts in your mind. It's much more cerebral. It's much more emotion-based. Like when you pick a card and somebody finds it, and they put it back. You're like, ah, oh, you know, that was good. Like, hey oh, yeah, a card trick. Amazing. But when you suddenly tell someone something about themselves, like what the name of their best friend was in second grade or what their favorite thing to eat is, or in the moment they just say something and you know what they're going to say, like a number. That kind of hits people in a very different way. And it tends to be much, much more memorable and much harder to explain. There is almost no solution to a lot of the things that I do. And it's because of the fact that it is not a trick. It's not, I'm not pretending to be psychic, but at the same time, I'm using a lot of tactics and things that I've honed over decades. And that's why I think, knock on wood, that's why I'm still gainfully employed because people enjoy it, they find it entertaining.
1: I know I find it super entertaining. And one nugget of information I learned about you is how you've always used mentalism and magic to pay for things. As a kid, you entertained others so you could have fun on the weekends. You used your skills to pay for your college education. Given how long you've been at this, I would think you knew exactly what you wanted to do from an early age. However, you ended up taking a detour into the world of finance before going all in on being a mentalist. So why didn't you just stick with what you loved?
2: honestly, I never thought I was going to do this and it's not even being humble or anything. I literally had no idea that this was a lane. Does that make sense? Until you kind of see someone that you can emulate or a mentor, I assume it's kind of, I've heard a lot of podcasts, movie stars who just had this light bulb go off where they're like, wait, that could be me. I could be a movie star one day. Now I never thought that, but I never thought you could be a mentalist or you could be a magician. Like I did not know that was even a possibility. I thought more along the lines of my dad's an engineer, somebody I know works as a lawyer, somebody's a doctor, like a good Jewish boy, like lanes right here. Nice Jewish boys have
0: nice Jewish careers. Right. Exactly.
2: We never mentioned at Passover Seder, the mentalist. So I had no idea, not even from a perspective of financing, making ends meet, but even just I didn't know this was a profession. So I kind of went to school because that's what was expected of me. And then at school, I learned what I thought would be a good profession or something that would at least get my foot in the door. I ended up doing engineering. And then I ended up going to work on Wall Street. I had a couple internships. Things were very lucky. It was a good time in terms of the market. And so I ended up going to work for Merrill Lynch for a few years before I switched paths and became an entertainer.
0: So... Walk us through that moment where you decide to pivot, let's say, like you decided to leave finance, you're ready to embrace your passion as a mentalist and entertainer. What was it that really pushed you over the edge? Was there one thing or was it a gradual
2: shift? I think it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. There were a bunch of little steps that kept happening, and timing and luck is just everything in life. I look back and I say to myself, if this would have happened because I quit my job. 16 years ago. Now I'm dating myself. Wow, it's hard to wow. say that. But don't do that. I was in like the glory days. Wall Street was humming. This was the mid 2000s. And that if this had happened to me in 2009, for example, I would have never left a job because I would have been too scared. My thinking. Oh, we had- know that. Yeah. So at the time, what was my mindset? My mindset was this. I go, if I don't do this, and I'll give you the story of why I quit when I did quit, but if I don't go for it now, What's the worst that's going to happen? It doesn't work out. So in a year, I'll find another job. That to me was the worst case scenario. I'd saved up some money. I didn't really have any big overwhelming things. I didn't have a family yet. I didn't have anything to pay for. There was nothing stressing me out at the same level other than rent and eating something every day. So it's not like your options are only as good as kind of your liabilities, if you will. If I had a family to raise, again, I probably would have stuck with that squishy paycheck and kept things very consistent. But I did a show at Merrill Lynch. It's important to know what I did at Merrill Lynch. I was red tape. So I was like bureaucratic red tape, where I'm some 21 year old shrimp who knows nothing who gets hired, and what my whole job is is to ensure that people that are buying servers at the company don't spend more money than a certain amount. So kind of like imagine you're setting something up and, you're, you, know, <laughs> and you say I need three million bucks, and they're like, "We'll talk to this kid," and he gets talk on to the team. guy in finance. Yeah, he's like, "Who are you?" And I'm yeah, like, "You're I'm like, literally oh. the red tape, literally." Yeah. And they talk to me and I go, okay, you need 3 million. I'm gonna give you 1.3 million. And here's a report on what you can buy. And he's like, everybody wants to just give me the finger and scream at me. I am as hated as customer service. You know what I mean?
1: You're a doorstop.
2: Yes. And so what I learned to do, and it's kind of a lesson throughout life, is I would ingratiate myself because those same people who were 20, 30 years my senior and infinitely smarter than I am at what they did. I would go out to drinks with them and I would do magic and I would blow them away. And suddenly this kid that they hate, they're like, oh, he's great. And they, it's social networking and people so like my job. And what started happening is I got visibility in short order to my bosses, 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 boss, like people that were so far up the ladder. I didn't even know there was a ladder. At one point I did a show for the CFO of the company who is now the CEO of Morgan Stanley's an Australian guy named James Gorman. I have never had the chance to meet him since, which is funny, even though I've told the story many times, and I've done some shows for his senior leadership, but I wonder if you'd even remember this. I did a magic trick where I took five $1 bills from everybody. I snapped my fingers and they turn into five 100s. It's a beautiful piece of magic, just incredible eye candy. And I did this and the guy goes, oh my God, everyone starts laughing because we got to get you working here. They start laughing and then I go, I do work here. And they didn't know I was hired internally by an event planner. He had no idea. He thought I was a professional and then he's like, well, what do you mean? And I go, no, I literally, I work at your company. And he didn't believe me, thought I was BSing. And I, I told him a long acronym of what I do. And he's like, well, what the hell are you doing working here, mate? And I, right, right. <laughs> it's like a light switch. It's a light switch. And it's one of a few light switches, but that cemented the moment where I said, the CFO of the whole company just said, what am I doing working here? What am I doing working here? Like It was a real come to Jesus moment. And I think it was less than six weeks later that I put in my notice and everyone I worked with was happy for me. They all said, this is not your future. This is what you need to be doing. They saw that.
1: I find it extremely interesting that the confirmation you received from a Wall Street heavyweight and back then the CFO of the company was what it took for you to make that pivot and make that transition. I can't help but to wonder that if years and years before that, before you even made your way to Wall Street, someone like either your mother or father or grandparent looked you in the eye and said, it's okay to become a magician, would that have changed your trajectory in any way? Or like, that just would never have happened.
2: And this is the way it went down. And so I'm not faulting my parents or anybody around me. I think they were in the same boat as me. They just did not know that this was a viable option. Does that make sense? Until yeah, you for sure. You never know about it. Once you get into it, like it's kind of like when you meet people that do something interesting, you go, wow, that's a profession. I've had so many airplane flights where I'm sitting next to somebody and we start striking up the conversation. Suddenly you hear all about their life story, their business, and you're just shocked. You I never even knew that that was a lane you could go down. It's incredible when you find that. I had a couple other big instances. One was a magician that used to book me out. So when I say that it's called overflow work. It's if you're so busy and this is back in the good old days of live events pre-COVID. <laughs> if you're doing private parties, the most coveted night of the week is a Saturday night. Because that's when all the big parties are. 40th birthdays, barn and bat mitzvahs, you name it. That's when people want to have their celebrations. So the unfortunate instance is that you can only do one party in a certain time. You can't make a clone of yourself. So people in my business, what they'll do is they'll book other shows that call you if you're that busy and they'll give somebody else that's a performer who they can vouch for and they know that you're very good at what you do and you're not going to embarrass them and they'll hire you instead. And then they make either some sort of booking fee on top or commission or a referral fee. Long story short, there's people that are so busy that they literally farm out hundreds of other shows to other people each year because they have such demand. And one person like that used to book me out. And this is when I still worked on Wall Street, and I had a conversation with him. And I just—he's like, "Well, what are you doing working on Wall Street still?" And I'm like, I, "What do you mean? I have a great job." And, and he goes, do "You love it?" He just hit me with just these questions that were so direct, and that I never had even asked myself the question. I'm like, "Well, I don't love it." And he's like, "Would well, you love magic?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Then what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, I got to make money." He's like, "How much do you have to make?" And I'd never thought this through. It's kind of like making a plan. Most people live their life where they don't actually know—they've never written down what do you actually want. Like what's your, what's your three year what's your five year? What do you need to do this? And so a lot of people, it's just, he kind of made me put down, this is the number I need. And then I just thought it was pie in the sky and he goes, well, how much you do for a show now? I'm like this and how many shows you have to do he's like, so what's the problem? Do three times as many shows. And I'm like, yeah, but how he's like, just start working more. Like everything about what he said was so clear.
1: cut Get your time back.
2: That I'd never realized it. And so again, these were all these little steps that pushed me in the direction of, I need to give it a go.
1: I'll move past this, but I just wanted to follow up with one thing on it. In a world that, and I imagine some of these people are your idols and people you've looked up through the Houdinis of the world, the Robins, Burtons, and Copperfields, even with such notable figures in your space existing, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, were they just so big and so a one-off that you say to yourself, I'm never going to be that, therefore this is not a viable path because they're just so huge? Or is it something else? And then we can move past this.
2: I would say yes. I would even connect the dots in that sense. I don't know if I had the ambition to be that at the time. So it's like when you see that, it seems otherworldly. There's no connecting the dots of how do you get to that level. Only now as my career has progressed, I understand how these people made it to where they are. And there is no linear path. It's kind of like it's making your own luck over and over and over time and again. Got it.
0: Definitely. So shortly after you met Doug, that's really when you went Completely parabolic. Like you were already doing really well, performing hundreds of shows a year, but then America's Got Talent happened. Tell us a little bit about that opportunity and what that moment did for you as a performer and also as a business owner. I mean, not just about your confidence, but about what it did for you professionally.
2: Oh, there's no comparison. I mean, I don't know. It would be tough to know for sure. But if I die in 50 years, I assume that's line number one on my obituary. I'm hoping for other things. I mean, I've had an NBC show. I won an Emmy. Like there's other things. But AGT is, imagine you have a small little spark and you just take two gallons of jet fuel and you pour it on top and it just explodes. AGT was far and away the biggest thing that's ever happened for my career on so many levels. It just, it's, I think what you said was so poignant and smart, which is the confidence it gives you. Because of two things. One, it's such a way to escalate. I've never been under such stress ever in my career beforehand. When you do a performance that you just planned in the last week and you're doing it live and you're at Radio City Music Halls where they used to shoot it. So there's about six, 000, seven thousand people watching you live. You know that there's 15 million people watching you on TV. And then around the world, there's gonna be hundreds of millions because these things get tons of views for years. So all of that combined, and also the highs and the lows are just so massive because if you get through each round, you immediately have to plan for what you're doing the following round.
0: Right. It's like a marathon. You just have to keep, it's just constant creation and they're throwing
2: curveballs at you.
1: Don't they just come right up to you after you're literally done doing a mind-blowing act and they're like, what's next?
2: Very close to that. Yes. It's a very quick turnaround and also... I'm of the mindset and I've advised a lot of the people that have been on the show since me that, and I've seen it so often. I don't like to jinx people, but people that go into that show very, very confidently and that have it all planned out, they know what their first round, second round, third round. I did not know anything beyond the round I was doing, meaning I literally did not make any plans for the next round because I think of it, I'm not Mr. Football, but a football analogy is if you're getting the ball thrown to you and you are the wide receiver and you're looking at that ball, if you're thinking about how you're going to turn around and run and score a touchdown or anything you think about other than catching that ball, you know what happens? You drop the ball. You don't end up catching it. So all these people I know that have been on the show that were so certain of how great they do so often, time and again, they're thinking about the next round. They don't make it through that round because they're too much thinking and too concerned about where they're going next. I was so laser focused on how I was going to execute each time that The minute after it ended and the next morning, they're like, what are you doing next? It was a blank slate. It was giving me a whole new canvas. And I would come up with things under pressure.
1: I find that to be true. So when I will do a live TV hit or something like that, I remember early on when my confidence wasn't as high as it was today that I would literally script out my hit.
0: And you could see it. You could see it in his face. You could tell that he knew the points that he wanted to make. And he felt like he had to get them out. And it was like, it just wasn't nearly as effective.
1: You would be hard pressed to see me choke or flub a line. And it exists out there. But it would happen more with things being scripted and mapped out than it would just having the few bullet points. Because I know what the general topic would be going on smiling and doing your thing. That's really cool that I just think it's applicable throughout life is that if you try and game it too much, you might fall on your face.
2: But the one thing we never saw Doug do on a live TV hit was have a bad hair day. Am I right, Heather? <laughs> the bad hair, never, that healthy had a hair right there. That's the logo. That's the moneymaker. Bonafide health, baby. Bonafide health. He'll put the work
0: in for that, though. I'll tell you that. He always makes sure his hair is on point. He may not study some lines beforehand, but the hair always gets done.
2: The That's makeup. It. Half the people watching on CNBC are on mute anyway. They're hiring me, Doug, because of everything they see. I'm telling you. I don't want to objectify you Listen. Let's be real, real right here.
0: And for the record, I played a very large part in that over this past year because I cut his hair during COVID. FYI. So my
2: wife, my wife did. This, How is, turn out. Okay, this is super awkward because I can't have my hairstylist listen to this. But my wife did a better job than my hairstylist in 10 years. multiple times. <laughs> like it's I feel if you could have seen the first haircut, our marriage was I don't want to say we were going to call some sort of a family attorney afterwards. But after the first haircut. I was really mad. I thought she had just destroyed my hair, and I think it's potentially my best feature. It's still there. And then within a few days, I simmered down, and I was much more respectful. And I'm like, you know what? You did a really good job, honey. I'm sorry I was so hard on you during. But then <laughs> next COVID haircut and next COVID haircut, she's like Michelangelo. I mean, don't, I can't understand how it's possible. It's the layering, the... I'm blown away.
0: Maybe she and I should start like a <laughs> secondary your, business side here. side hustle? Yeah. Maybe
1: No, it'd be teaching other wives how to not royally screw up their husband's hair. Or at least a YouTube
0: video. Maybe not a business, but perhaps a video. There's the
1: next- Perhaps
2: some content. Two things. Sure to be another pandemic in the next 30 years, I think you get ready in advance for it.
0: There it is. Yep, exactly.
1: Thank you for the flattery. You're already are my, at least, number one favorite guest on this show.
0: You've just just skyrocketed to the top of the list. I'm the
2: first guest though. Is that correct? Just so I'm clear. I'm the first guest and the number one.
1: If by first you mean
2: (laughs) sixth, then
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) Like the sixth guest, but sure. Sixth, seventh guest. We'll
1: see.
2: front of the line. I know.
1: Uh, We can always bump you up. Getting back to the kind of business of things for just a second. I was watching you on an interview with Lewis Howes from, I think it was three years ago in 2017. And you brought up something that really stuck with me as a business owner. You were talking about how most sole proprietors devalue themselves because it's difficult to charge more for something that you love doing. And I find there to be a lot of truth in that. I struggled with that for years. So I wanted to know how you went about finding your worth and how often you continue to think about it even
2: at this stage of the game. So I think that you can be your own worst enemy because you, in a lot of these professions, Think about if you're selling, if you're a multinational company, the amount of market research you do into what you should be charging for a product is just, you spend tons of money on that. In most of our businesses, we have no idea what our competitors charge. We don't know why they charge what they charge. It's like no transparency.
1: Yeah, it's In my
2: profession, especially the case, like I have no idea what other people charge for certain things and what's the differences. And to a large degree, people aren't necessarily open about that. So I think that the answer to your question is, if you are finding that you're devaluing yourself, you need to bring someone on board that can help you with that. So in my profession, that's a booking manager, somebody who takes that off my plate. So I'm no longer the boss. If you're the person who owns a shop and someone comes in and wants to negotiate with you, they're like, come on, give me a deal. You don't have anyone to defer to. They're like, but you own the place. You can give me a discount. You don't go to Walmart and tell the cashier, hey, I want this for 20% off. they will be like, what do you want from me, man? I'm not,
1: not stopping but- me from
2: asking. Exactly. <laughs> But if you have someone else who's in between you, then I say, oh, I'd love for you to do that. But talk to my manager, talk to my agent, or talk to my sales rep, or talk to, you need a divide between you and the business. You need to separate the two together. So you have to have some sort of way of doing that. Even if it's yourself doing it, you have to find a better way to imagine that you're your own representative and learn more about what you should be charging. And quite frankly, it's just like a microeconomics, econ 101, where the curve supply and demand, if you're hearing yes to everything and what you're selling is a service that's your time, and everyone's saying yes, 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 you're priced too low. People should be saying no to you at some points. You need to know that otherwise you're too cheap. Love it.
0: So Doug and I started getting into a bit of running this past summer. I mean, some real couch to 5K stuff. This is like, this went from zero to 100 for us. And we love our kids, but there's something just about this physical act of like physically running away from the home that I guess felt very cathartic (laughs) this past summer. And we both just like suddenly like, I'm a runner now, I guess. So that was like our big pandemic pivot. But you, on the other hand, are an ultra marathon runner. So for listeners who don't know, what is that? How far do you run?
2: So an ultra marathon is anything longer than a marathon, which is 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers, but it depends. It varies. Like there's all different 50 miles, 100 mile, 150 mile races. Oh my God. People are pushing the envelope. So the farthest I've ever run in one go is a race in Greece called the Spartaflon. I ran 153 miles. What? Why though? <laughs> what? To say I did it. even I don't even know what's to say I did it because I don't usually like to brag about it because it makes people think you're crazy, but more to have done it. It's really the experience. That's a whole different beast. That race is wild. But how I long
0: does it. it take to do such a
2: thing? I was not that competitive in that race, but the winners are averaging probably under 24 hours. So it's a straight day. I was 33 hours. So to give scale, because most people can't think of that many hours. I started on Saturday at 7am and I finished Sunday in the afternoon.
1: Oh my (laughs) goodness. I slept
2: about my running partners that were there could fact check me, but I slept about 45 minutes and I got made fun of for that. Now that was not all in one burst. That was like 10 minutes here, five minutes there, 15 minutes here and like another 10 minutes. And some of those sleeps, this is not like the Ritz Carlton or the Four Seasons. I was on a mountain at mile 99 at like 8,000 feet up. And I just got to an aid station, which is in essence, two people at a hut with like flashlights and a small card table with like some food on it. And I got there and right when I said, I said, wake me up in five minutes and just lay down on the gravel rocks and was asleep before my head hit the ground. Unreal. <sighs> I felt like I lay down and then they shook me awake. I'm like, no, no, let me sleep. I, did I sleep yet? They're like, you've been sleeping five minutes. And I didn't even remember. But then you wake up and you keep going.
0: So what do you do? <laughs> do you like eat a sandwich like while you're running?
2: So this is kind of gross. But so for that race, because I did the race the year before and I had a lot of stomach issues. I was throwing up. It's actually a bit of a viral YouTube video. If anybody wants to enjoy, it's the most viewed video ever on this race. In 30 something years, you just type in Spartathlon and it will come up. The first video will be of me and my buddy running it spoiler alert i didn't finish the first year so the second year all i wow. ate were energy gels they're these little they're called cliff goos they're like little sugar packets and i ate one every uh-uh. 20 minutes so i ate a hundred of those oh. in a day and a half <laughs> oh my god <laughs> after finishing the two things i wanted the most were to lay down and to brush my teeth because my teeth on, were down. just revolting like imagine oh. consuming sugar nonstop for 33 hours.
1: They say the body's mostly made of water, but I guess at that moment in your life, your body was mostly made of goo. I
2: think my body, I don't even, yeah, I don't even know what I was made of. I was destroyed.
1: So it's not too hard to see how the connection between what you do as a mentalist, getting into people's minds and whatnot, and your ability to endure the type of mental and physical torture you must have put yourself through to run 100 plus miles. Is there a link between your ability to read people's minds, quote unquote, and your ability to control your own, not just in the context of running, but also in business and in life?
2: I mean, I think so. It's funny because when I hear about these things, I still think I'm very lazy. And my wife would probably agree that I'm very lazy. So even though I'll (laughs) go run and I'll go run if I can. I'm mostly limited by life responsibilities. Like if right now you just told me I had nothing to do and I could go run 25 or 30 miles tomorrow and do that for the next few days. Like that's my joy. To most people, it sounds like a punishment. That to me sounds amazing. But yeah, I get that. At the same time, I'll go run 25 miles and then somebody will say, Hey man, let's grab drinks and they'll want to grab drinks four blocks away. I'm be like, dude, that's too far. Let's just go one block. Like I don't want to walk four blocks. (laughs) Right. And 25 miles. And it's it's the yin and the yang. I can't explain it. The same applies to marketing. I feel pretty much always like I'm not doing enough. Working, it's either feast or famine. I could be working a ton and I'm miserable or I'm not working enough and I'm anxiety-ridden. I think it's all being a neurotic Jew. It's in my DNA.
0: Yeah, you guys have more in common than I, and actually me too. I feel the same way. I don't know how to be still. Or chill. Still or chill. Working too much, you're complaining about how much you're working, not working enough. You feel like there's more you're leaving on the table and that there's other things you should be doing, creating, running. Whatever. I it's definitely like the neurotic Jew thing.
1: Whether it's ingrained in DNA, and I think it is for a really good part, or just wanting to achieve and being brought up a certain way.
0: Well, that's also how we came up with the name of this podcast, We Should Be Sleeping, because Doug and I have always got a million projects and a million different activities and goals going on. And people always say to us, You should really try and take a nap and relax on your day off.
1: And you should really Not that we don't binge like Netflix shows and get into some TV,
2: but
0: It's a mindset. I hear that.
1: So would all great mentalists also make great marathon runners?
2: (laughs) It's funny because there's not that many. I've searched kind of high and low for other magicians. There's several of them, but I don't know why it doesn't. There's
1: really trying to make that. There's a lot of
2: magicians that are very sedentary, not necessarily fit, but with (laughs) mentalists.
1: Gordo, the fat magician.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but yes, it's not like a profession known necessarily for being overly (laughs) methodical about fitness if you kind of really look, just do a Google search on magicians and you'll see what I mean. <laughs> Watch thinking. me so make like that-
0: adamant, w- adamant to connect you being a mentalist to being a marathon runner. I got it. He's like, he's like certain that I, there is a, that I there's a connection.
1: I got a trick. Watch me make this Big Mac disappear in my mouth.
2: Pretty much. <laughs> oh, man. I do that one. too. So I'm not, I go through phases of being a very healthy eater, but the good side about being able to run a ton of mileage is it kind of takes off for now. My metabolism is still good enough that I've gained maybe the COVID-5, but not quite the COVID-15. But when I'm running a lot, when I can do that, it's pretty easy to maintain weight just because if you run two or three hours a day, it kind of helps. I still eat a lot. You'd be shocked at the quantity.
0: (laughs) So speaking of being a really busy guy, that's got a lot going on. It goes beyond just being a professional mentalist, entertainer, runner. You're also a dad of three now. And tell us about being a mentalist and being a dad. Like who controls who?
2: Oh, there's nothing better. Being a dad is, I think, the best thing ever. There's just no question. Here, here. Kids, just every single day is amazing, even when they drive me crazy. Adore them. And this last year, I think when we look back at this, as long as knock on wood, we all make it through. But you look back at this kind of as a global event that you'll never forget. This one to year to year and a half. I think that by the end of the year, this will be kind of will be moving way past it. But just the being around your family. Just every single day, I didn't live this kind of life before. The years since my son was born, I have a four-year-old. The first three years of his life, as my career kept going into overdrive and hyperdrive, there are months where I would be gone 20, 22, 23 nights. And when you do that, you still feel like you're a part of it, but not like when I'm home every single night now and get to really see them grow up and be with them every day. And it's amazing.
1: It's the coolest thing in the world. I spend my mornings since last March with Ruby. I mean, Heather's here too and working really hard. I'm here too. But one of the luxuries, and maybe you can relate to this, one of the luxuries of running your own business and having your own job is when these things pop up and hopefully they don't pop up too many more times in our lifetime when there's a global pandemic going around and you can't send your kid to daycare or you don't want to, and you can step in and really just your best friend is now this squishy human being that's your kid. It's hands down the best experience and the biggest silver lining out of this entire thing, and I think we're very fortunate to have that.
2: Yeah, no, it's great.
1: So, what do the kids think of magic and mentalism? Any interest from them? And what would your reaction be? I guess if they wanted to follow in your footsteps.
2: Wow! Oh my God! Following footsteps—that's a weird thing to think about. I mean, my oldest son calls me "Owes the Mentalist" a lot to my face. <laughs> it is quite funny. Ever since <laughs> maybe three, he's a showman. So, in his own way, he loves getting a laugh. He loves analyzing reactions. And so much of what I do is just analyzing reactions. It's really kind of the core competencies, analyzing reactions and knowing how to manage your audience in much the same way a good salesperson does. You can know how people feel in a certain moment, how they're going to behave, what they'll do, where the little hiccup points are. But with him, he's doing the same thing. I watch him study me, studying him. And he's, I don't know that he'll be a mentalist. I mean, if he would, I would encourage it. I'm not opposed to it, even though it's a weird thing to have be a dynasty, but <laughs> A little father-son act. I would never push it. I'm not like stage dad. I'm like, you got to start doing this now.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. We never push them into it.
2: We bought all these books today, reading books, and I got him a book on stocks. And we started reading like three pages. And he's like, let's move on to a different book. And I'm like, no, no, you <laughs> really got to handle. We got to get to ETFs. We got to learn a little bit about fixed income. You're old, four and a half. no, no. You got to catch up to what Warren Buffett was like at this age. But <laughs> I don't know what he'll do. He's very creative. He loves art. This is my oldest son. The other kids are two and almost eight months. Yes, too like, soon their to tell. Their personalities are still forming, but they're all so different. It's clear cut.
1: Don't you love seeing that? Just completely different kids. They're all yours, but they couldn't be any more different.
2: Nature, nurture, these are their own people. There's no question about it. I think they're going to dig it. I think I'm going to have like maybe around the age of eight, I will peak in coolness. And then it will be a <laughs> swift and complete decline by like very, very early teenage years. And then we'll see what happens once the trajectory goes further. (laughs) I feel maybe when the birthday party circuit hits, if I, like I don't have a bunny or anything that appeals to them. Eight-year-olds don't really like mentalism. They like flashy magic. Of course.
1: So what's next for you and why Vegas? Seriously, where do you take it from here? Do you have an end goal or you're just seeing where things take you
2: other than? I mean, I can tell you, yeah, my big goal would be everything is kind of predicated on when COVID kind of goes away to get things back in motion. So I was pitching TV shows before this all hit and I had my own TV show. And that is really the best way to amplify yourself. Even though nowadays the landscape is shifting media landscape is just what will TV even be in two or three years? Who's even watching traditional TV as much getting a network special is not what it once was, but just putting something out there. I think that the big picture item for me is no one in the U S has taken up the mantle of being the most well-known mentalist. Like most people, if you ask them, who's the most famous magician, you're going to get David Blaine, Chris Angel, or David Copperfield in a harpy. That's from all age groups. In England, if somebody said, oh, who's the most well-known mind reader, mentalist?" everybody knows Darren Brown. And the same thing, like in Ireland, there's a guy. In Israel, there's a guy. In all these different countries, mentalism has taken mainstream levels of popularity where somebody knows who is the guy. I'm not trying to be sexist. That just hasn't really been a woman, but it tends to be a guy. And so in the US, no one has taken that mantle. No one is elevated to that level. And I think that that's, if somebody had already done it, it's very hard to take their position. But when there's an opening, it really comes down to who can execute, who can do something that's really splashy and big, like a huge stunt that no one's ever done before that'll capture the public imagination and just get that opportunity. Right luck, right timing. And I'm going to keep going for it. So I'm hoping that the best is not behind me, that would be my ultimate goal. The short-term goal is to continue doing what I'm doing, which is just doing tons of shows, entertaining lots of people, continuing to up my brand and kind of elevate my performance. Every time I do shows, it gets better and better. Well, you're the guy, man.
0: And we can't wait to watch. It's going it, to be. No matter you. what.
1: I've been watching we this love thing it. for years and years and years, and you've constantly, constantly deliver here. Now, what the audience doesn't know, or our listeners don't know, is that you've asked us some questions before we started. It sounds like You have something up your sleeve?
2: Up my sleeve. Here's what I want to ask you. Let's do a hypothetical. Doug, what do you like to eat? Right now, ultimate meal you could have in front of you. Can you picture it right now? And I want to be clear. You're thinking about this in this moment for the first time ever. We've never spoken about this. You had no idea about eating anything before this moment, did you? No. They need to know spontaneity is everything. When you watch a TV show and somebody's been scripted, you can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. I need to know there's no way, this is impulsive in the moment. Imagine to me, you're sitting down, what are you having? Just tell me what's on the plate. I wanna hear in this moment, what do you feel like eating? Shellfish, it's crab and lobster. Crab and lobster, okay. Now let's take it a step further. You could eat crab and lobster. COVID's not affecting what you're eating. COVID is affecting for all of us where we could travel. Do you have a pen and paper or anything that you can write on handy? Right in front of me. Okay, I want you to do this so even Heather doesn't know what you're about to write down. Imagine you get on a plane tomorrow. Anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. But Doug, this is all about we should be sleeping. That whole, your whole name of your show is we aren't sleeping. We're doing stuff. We're expanding. We're going bigger and better. So you can go anywhere in the world, but it's got to be somewhere you've never been before. I want you to think of the number one place in the world. Number one place, city in the world you'd love to go. You've never been to. And I want you to turn from Heather so she can't see and write down that number one place right now. Heather, don't say what you think it is because that's more newlywed game. But do you think you know where he wants to go? I do. Okay. And you should. You should. Husband and wife. So, Doug, this is the curveball. I love the curveball. This is when I say spontaneity. Take your pencil and just make a. Are you pencil or pen? What do you have? Pen. And I want you to just make a line through that place and say no. Just say no, Heather. No, no, Heather. This is the only time he says no to <laughs> his wife ever. So it's just under the course of my <laughs> show. True. Never say it otherwise. Happy oh, wife, man. happy life. Very and now, true. Pivot. You asked me about pivoting. You pivot. I want you to write down what's the number two place in the world. This is the best because now you didn't even know. When I asked you, what was your number two place? Where you want to go? So how in the world would Heather know? Write down the number two place right underneath the number one place. Have you done that? Done it. Heather, you didn't see what he wrote down, did you? I did not. Heather, don't say the place, but do you think you know what number two is? You're not sure.
0: I think I know.
2: Wow. I think I know. No no way.
0: We've spent a lot of time together
2: this past year. No way. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the number two place is in the same geographical region as the number one place? No. Okay. Interesting, notice how Doug didn't say a word, which indicates you were wrong. If he had said something else, you would have gotten an answer of a yes. So you, you see what I mean? That's no info sometimes gives me info. I think you're both on the same page. He wanted shellfish. He she wanted crab, he wanted lobster, but it's not his favorite thing to eat. The first place you were thinking of, hands down, was Asia. And I'm thinking you want amazing sushi, amazing ramen, First place you thought of was Tokyo. Is that what you thought oh he thought God. of? Together? No, but he but... changed his mind and here's where it gets crazy. Because you know what? You could have brought a few other mental signs here and they might have guessed Tokyo, but nobody in the world can know what you would think when you changed your mind. You changed your mind in the middle. You changed, Your wife doesn't even know. And underneath it, you know what you went with? You went with another place. You were close to Asia. You jumped over. Quick flight, Seoul, South Korea. Isn't it? Jeez, man. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Listeners, he was right.
2: <laughs> Look, there's no video. Can you tell them right now? There's nothing on video. We're not seeing each there's other. There is no video. No, there's no video. Heather's
0: bright
1: red in the face. I'm lit-
0: my face is the color of a tomato. I'm crying.
1: The worst part about this is I know he's going to deliver and nail it. That's the worst part is that he's <laughs> going want want to gonna be right. It. Yeah, he's be yeah right. You, you don't. But he, he,
2: Heather, oh Heather how old were you when you met Doug?
0: 19?
2: I think you're 18, honey. It's okay. What did he say?
0: He thought I was 18. I was
2: 19. You were 18.
0: Oh, okay. 18.
2: Uh, it sounds creepy. He's like, you were definitely 18. You were definitely 18. <laughs> you are you not you 16. Were, you, were above, you were above 18. <laughs> Doug, I'm going to have to look up the statute of limitation.
1: <laughs> I think we're well past that.
2: Doug's like, there was nobody before me. You know what? Great point. 18, 19, puppy love. Here's what I want you to do. I can't be there, so I can't see you doing this, but if you're listening to a song Okay, and somebody tries to tell you how another song goes, you know, it's almost impossible for your brain to process music while you're Mm -hmm. listening to other music. It's incredibly challenging. Your brain doesn't work that way. Do you know what I'm saying right now? You Mm -hmm. can't sing another song while you're hearing another song. It's very distracting. Same as when my four year old is counting. If I start counting to it, messes up his counting. You have to make it stop so you can just focus. I want you to close your eyes because if your eyes are open right now, it's going to be very hard to picture this face. Are your eyes closed? Mm hmm. I want you to go back in time. Now, I sometimes ask people the name of their first kiss. And if I were to ask you right now, I've never asked you about the name of your first kiss ever in your life. Have I? No. Better be me. (laughs) This is literally something you're thinking of right at this moment. Now, here's the problem. First kiss is not just you. There's another person involved. So at the end of the day, there's a way to maybe have known about it. Maybe it's not on Facebook or Google or Instagram, but somehow another person knows. I want to do something nobody knows but you. And this is something we all share. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine the face of the first person you ever had a huge crush on. Can you see this person in your mind right now? Yes. Okay. Open your eyes. Before I asked you about this today, has it been weeks, months, or years since you thought of him? Yes. Which one?
1: He's asking if it's weeks, months, or years, but I love that you
0: answered yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's been years.
2: It's been yes. It was a multiple choice question and she just said true. <laughs> true. <I> like that.
0: <laughs> it's been years. That's my it's wife. It's been years.
2: <laughs> years. Heather, I want you to count how many letters are in this person's name or whatever you call them. And I want you to, once you're done, don't say it. So if you count like three or eight or six or five, don't say the number. Just say, I'm done counting. So count right now and say, I'm done counting.
0: I'm done counting.
2: That was quick, but not super quick. If the name is Ben... Right If the name is John or Paul, if it's three or four letters, it's very, very quick. If the name is, let's say, Bartholomew, that's first off, crazy name, but second, you can't count that fast. So it's not you can't. nobody can. It would have taken more time. So we know the name is middle. It's five or six letters. I guarantee it. I know it right away. And I want you to think of the first letter, and I want you to just say the alphabet for me. So right now just say A, B, C, D, and just keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. But only in your mind, think of the first letter of the name and start saying the alphabet. A B
0: C D E F G H I J K L M N O. Stop. Oh.
2: Stop. Five-letter name starts with a D. Danny was your first crush, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm dead. I'm dead.
2: For the record, <laughs> Heather's got a thing for guys whose names start with D. So I'm just oh, like, yeah. That's actually really true. She's for
0: Oh my god, I'm dead. I need a drink.
1: Wow. You actually have a drink right next to you. She's going to go bathe herself in wine. One.
2: <laughs> Please try to open a whole new bottle of wine. You shouldn't be sleeping. You should be drinking. That's the name oh my of the God. New podcast.
0: Oh, is, you're blowing my mind.
2: Oh, my God. I just All right, guys. I like to leave you wanting more. And I can't end on a no, higher note than no.
1: that. We honestly, that's nuts. Thank you for delivering as you always do. And we cannot thank you enough for joining us on the podcast. I'm going to have to resuscitate my wife now. <laughs> I can't even. She's done. You don't don't even. Don't even (laughs) bother. We have one last question that we ask everyone. You asked us, and and you talked a lot about losing sleep in this. But what have you been
2: losing sleep over lately? What have I been losing sleep over? Man, I feel like blessed that I haven't been losing sleep. I've been losing sleep over rereading old science fiction books.
0: Mm. (laughs)
2: Hmm. (laughs) I have recently decided that instead of trying to find, like, suss out new books to read, which I desperately want good books to read. I've just been rereading old books that I really enjoyed. And it's so crazy how even though you've read a book, I can just get captured and I'm suddenly awake in bed for like until 1.30 or 2 in the morning, even though knowing my son is going to wake me up at 6 a.m. And I'm like, no, why are you doing this to yourself? But I can't put a good book is better than anything to me. But it's you can't stop. Any show, and I Correct. know it's good. And then when I reread, I'm like, oh my God, this is delivering just as well as it did before.
1: That's awesome. Love it.
2: So if anybody hears this podcast and wants to send me good book recommendations, I love good bios. I really like science fiction. I'm a nerd. What can I tell you? And I love post-apocalyptic books. Send me recommendations.
0: Ooh, love that. We'll put that in the show notes.
1: That's a great segue into where people can find you. So before you go, how are they going to find you?
2: So honestly, nobody even goes to websites anymore. You can, but the best way is probably Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those. It's at OzTheMentalist, and it looks like Oz. It should be Oz. Blame my Israeli parents, but it's at Oz the mentalist you can see tons of videos from me on tv you go to youtube waste hours and hours if you want to go to my website it's osperlman.com and i'm doing tons of zoom shows So the one cool thing nowadays is you just have to see where i'm touring where i'm performing now i'm in your house you can literally see me anywhere in the world you're welcome over
1: our house any day Oz, thank you jerky. again so much thank you Os. thanks guys
2: have a great night thanks for having me
0: Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping.
1: Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com.
0: We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping.